Sales Tuners, Episode 120, Alan Hammer, Senior Enterprise Account Executive at LiveClicker. I think one of the biggest things that holds back salespeople these days is knowing what won't work without ever giving it a try. And I used to be that person. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown, the only weekly show where we talk about the attitude, action, and ability that gets sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from Robert Tu, who said, Sometimes walking away has nothing to do with weakness and everything to do with strength. We walk away not because we want others to realize our worth and value, but because we finally realize our own. Today, I'm joined by a longtime friend and someone I've lost more games of Catan to than I'd like to admit. Alan Hammer joins me to discuss not only sales, but real talk, like his addiction to alcohol that made him face a tough decision early in his career and one that he still manages every single day. Something that has always interested me about Alan is that he spent his entire 15-year sales career as an individual contributor. It seems reps today are so eager to get into management and climb their ranks that they do almost anything to avoid staying solo. But in our conversation, Alan will explain how he sees the two different career paths as entirely unique skill sets, with the one he chose often being more lucrative. After both of his last two gigs ended in acquisitions that he feels fortunate to have been able to participate in, today Alan is an enterprise account executive at LiveClicker, an enhanced personalization platform that sits alongside a company's email service provider looking for known data points such as location-based weather, time of email open, or whether or not the device is Android or iOS, so that it can customize the user experience in real time. All right, make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 120. But now let's get to the conversation where Alan talks about selling colored rocks door to door as a way to make friends. I moved when I was six years old and I was finding it a little bit hard to meet new kids in the neighborhood. And my mom suggested that I go door to door or see where kids were playing to introduce myself. So I'm like, you know what? That sounds great, but I really enjoy the whole lemonade stand selling. And so I took that enterprise side of my nature and said, you know what? I'm going to go down to the neighborhood pool. They have some different colored rocks. You know, Some have quartz in them. Some look kind of cool when they're wet. And the only thing I did to, to paint them is I took a Sharpie and drew the price on the ones that I liked. So I had like $3 on one, I'd have a dollar on the other. On ones I really liked, I might put five or $6 on them. I put them in a wagon and I went door to door introducing myself to the neighborhood, trying to meet new kids. And I did sell a few rocks for face value from that from that wagon, so. Now, wait a minute, the customization was you writing the price <laughs> on the rock with a Sharpie. Who wants, who wants a rock displayed in their house that has marker, like a number, a price tag on it? Jim, I'm not the buyer. I'm I'm the seller. <laughs> so I, the the result was about ten bucks at the at the end of that little trip. So I I can't I can't answer that question other than uh, probably a little six year old smiling, looking cute, holding a a red wagon probably didn't hurt. 
Something, Alan, that has always intrigued me about you. You've been doing this, as I mentioned, for 15 years. Two companies that you've been an individual contributor at where the company got acquired. You benefited from those, but you've always stayed an individual contributor by choice. Why haven't you gone into management? Why do you continue to stay in that individual contributor role? I saw, as my sales career progressed, lots of my peers, colleagues move from an individual contributor to management. And I saw it work well maybe once or twice, and I saw it fail and be a bad move most of the time. And after I talked to some folks, talked to you know my executive team, I found out management is a completely different ballgame than being an, a successful individual sales contributor. You can make less money, and it's all about the people and management of the people and not about the process, the product, and solving and fixing people's problems. So it's like you're getting into a completely different career, even though you are staying at the same company. So I saw that not work enough times to be like, you know what? I want to be a successful, top-performing, individual, bag-carrying sales rep, and I'm going to politely decline, which has happened numerous times throughout my career, that natural, hey, you want to lead a sales team of you know five to 10 people. So with that, you have seen many sales leaders come and go that you've had to, I'll, I'll essentially say, work for. What's that been like? And the reason I'm saying that is because you've spent essentially, you know, seven-ish years at two separate companies. And if you've stayed in an individual contributor role, you've seen many sales leaders come and go. So when when you have had more tenure in those companies than your manager, how do you how do you deal with that? How do you work with them? How do you, when they bring up this, this uh, something you've already tried two years ago before they got there and you know it's not going to work, how do you deal with all that kind of stuff? <laughs> I haven't thought about that in a while because I've been uh, where I'm at now. I haven't had to deal with that situation, but that brings up quite a few memories um, at my first company. Um, and there were a couple times where, you know, quarter to quarter, I'm on the edge of performance. And you know, I'm I'm trying to figure out what are my inputs, why am I not getting the outputs, making tweaks. Some of those are self-led, some of those are manager-led. But I've typically found it's better as an individual sales contributor to smile, say okay, and go through a process, even if you don't think it's gonna work, that is being led by management while at the same time doing the things, doing the inputs, doing the work that I know is going to have results. So I've never been the guy to fight the process, fight the moves. I'll make a comment you know, in our one-on-ones or with management, hey, I don't think this is going to work and this is why, but I'm all in. And whether or not <laughs> I put you know, 150% behind it or not, I found the path of least resistance of just playing that game while doing all the things I know are going to make me successful has led to more success than not. I have the biggest smile uh, across my face that I've ever had uh, because I totally see you in that that picture now, right? Like I see you sitting in that one-on-one and just like shaking your head like, yeah, look, it makes sense. I'm, I'm all in. And then <laughs> immediately walking to your desk be like, yep, not doing any of that. <laughs> I don't know if I would ever be that extreme in my description, but you know what? If you boil it all down, Jim, I think you just nailed it. 
<laughs> oh man, I, it, it's funny because I think that's one of the, the things that is definitely different about us. Like I, I can't stand when someone's wrong. I can't stand not letting them know they're wrong, why they're wrong, how much they're wrong. And you know, early in my career, I would make sure I knew how stupid it was that they even thought that they could be right. <laughs> Every time I've thought that, and the few times early on I acted on that impulse, it's never ended up well for me. So I, I decided to, to leave that in the dust. Well, there's a reason why you've been at two companies for seven years, right? With a long, good tenure. And uh, I've never been anywhere, even including my own companies for more than three years. So uh, yeah, there's something to be said there. <laughs> well, I also haven't started my own companies either. So uh, we just have different philosophies that way. It's true. It's true. Alan, what, uh, what separates you, in your opinion, from other salespeople? I mentioned a little bit earlier uh, in this conversation, but I think leading the conversation, you know, I'm building rapport, but I'm trying to find, you know, based on the problems, A, is there a problem starting there? And if there's not a problem and the attitude starts off with, show me what you got, why should I buy your product? Being like, you know what? Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, I'm not sure that you should because I don't know what your problem is or what you're looking to solve. So help me understand what that looks like before I spend an hour going through a product demo of my software and realize at the end of it, I just showed you a bunch of stuff that doesn't pertain to your business at all. And by starting and staying there in a real way, as long as it takes for me and the prospect to determine we could be a good fit for each other, I think separates me from most of the colleagues that I've seen, both at the companies I've worked for and ones that I haven't uh, as the biggest differentiator. I want to talk more about that because I, I know you're right that that's what we need to do. But I'm seeing more and more, and, and maybe it's because just the amount of information available to buyers today, or maybe it's the inexperience of the sales reps that are out there. But I'm just seeing so many people get in that habit of being told, hey, just show me what you got. I, I just want to see it. Just show me the demo. And not getting their prospects to be able to open up and even have that initial dialogue. How, how are you continuing to... to get what you need there? Yeah, it's an interesting question because especially with the company I'm with now at LiveClicker, it's relatively new technology. So sometimes folks don't know what it does. They don't know necessarily what the benefits are, but for some reason they're interested either in something that I've done or my you know, SDR, BDR team has done to pique their interest. So I have to be careful that I'm not just going straight for, I don't know if we're a good fit. So a lot of times what I'll do is is lead those initial conversations by saying, hey, I'm happy to show you a demo of the product. You know, Here's my call-in credentials. Here's the link to connect to my computer. While we're kind of spinning this all up, do you mind if I ask you a few quick questions? And those few quick questions and me showing them one or two screens in from a click or two can lead to a 45-minute discovery conversation the prospect never wanted to have. So I'm still getting what I need to help the prospect and myself decide if this is a good conversation while still doing what they want and seeing, quote unquote, a demo when really it's, it's one screen, it's one or two clicks, and everyone's happy. What I'm sensing from that is like you're giving them what I call the illusion of control, even though you have it the entire way. That is my intent. It sounds and way better in a, uh, in a conversation of working like that. Uh, you know, than it actually does most of the time. But some version of that is 
has worked really well for me. I, I know you're at a new company, new product or new technology, but what's the biggest challenge you're facing today? The biggest challenge in the marketplace that I've seen that I'm facing, and those are kind of both true statements, is the buyer is coming to the conversation thinking they are 98% of the way to making a decision without me ever having a conversation with them. So especially in a process that's worked well over my career of building that trust and rapport around, I'm not sure if we're a great fit. If they come to me and we've already made it to the top three solutions or top two solutions with the research they've done, uh, both on our website, talking to other clients, partners, and I lead with, I don't know if we're a good fit, that can derail the conversation pretty quickly. So feeling that out, uncovering that, and making that conversation a little quicker in those situations has been the biggest change and you know, frankly, challenge in the last uh, few years, especially. That's very interesting. So you're saying they've already narrowed down to a couple of solutions and now it's just, is it a capabilities presentation? Or are they just comparing features and functionality? Like what are they doing then at that point? Well, exactly. They're saying, why should I buy yours over your biggest competitor? My specific marketplace, there are two of us at the top and the rest are far below. So they come to me saying, why are you better than XYZ? So I have to, in the process of, are we a good fit, getting my discovery, time frame, who's the decision maker, I have to also say, hey, these are some features and benefits on the side or differentiators that may be good for you, Mr. Prospect, based on what you're asking and the little I know about you at this point. So I have to not only do everything I'm trying to do on the discovery side that I need in the sales process, I'm also trying to sprinkle in differentiators without knowing if they're the right fit yet. I know with your training and background and obviously uh, a plethora of experience, you're not one that's going to talk bad about your your uh, competitors. But how do you truly position yourself against them without talking down about their, their products or, or even their companies? So there are a few in my, in my particular situation, there are a few differentiators that our competitors and primary competitor can't do specifically. So in a roundabout way, I'll speak to those strengths. I'll never talk down, as you said, to or about a competitor, but I'll also leverage on, hey, they're they're quite a bit bigger than us, and I'll lean on our service. So our, our company in, in my past, I've never been uh, selling the top product in my industry, and I've always loved that situation because I can speak to, yeah, we've got an easy-to-use product that's powerful and can fit the needs of what you're looking for specifically. Yeah, we're not a rocket ship. We're not going to take you to the moon and, and help you build a base uh, you know, there on the surface, but you need to go down the street to the shopping mall or um, whatever the case may be. So you need a, a great looking car with a, a few features. And that situation has always played really well uh, to the way I have conversations and you know, has, has been a great spot for me to sell to because I can say, hey, we're, we're not a five-star solution. A book I am recently reading right now is The Transparency Sale, and it talks about selling like you're a 4.2 or 4.5 out of five. And I found that works really well to, again, be another thing to help build trust with the prospects. 
it's humanizing, right? Like you, you, it's, it's so interesting because, you know, a lot of salespeople come out with just this arrogance of we are the best. I am the best. There's nothing better. And I can't stand that stuff. Even in, in just people in general, if you come out and tell me that you're the best at something, you've immediately turned me off. But if you can come into a situation like, look, we're not perfect for everybody. Uh, we've got some really good stuff. We've got some flaws too. Like, so where would you like me to start? Would you like me to tell you about the good stuff or you want me to tell you where we might uh, be able to improve a little? bit. It just changes the dynamic of the conversation. It even puts the buyer at ease. I couldn't agree more. And I found for whatever reason, sales folks in my line of work, in my business and throughout my career, from the beginning, middle, and now, so many more of them are like that than the way I think they should be. And I'm glad they're not that way, but they lead. We are the best. This is why. Here are top five customers. This is why we're so awesome. Check out this review. These are our two latest, greatest new features of our product that nine times out of 10 have nothing to do with whatever you're trying to solve with the person you're selling to. And I come in saying, I I don't know if we're a great fit. We're not a perfect fit for everyone. We don't do everything great. What are you looking for? And let's zero in on if maybe our product or maybe another one's a better fit for you. And yeah, you, you nailed it. It humanizes the situation. You're having a conversation and you're saying, we might not be the best for your situation. That level of rapport, you know, is, is you said you're, you're losing the opportunity a little bit because of the accelerated sales cycles in today's world. But there's just those nuggets, those moments that you can take it all the way back and, and kind of de-escalate things and slow it down a little bit to reveal that you are two humans having a conversation, build some of that rapport and, and earn some trust. Alan, as we, we've talked about uh, comparing yourself to other sales reps, we've talked about how a lot of people do want to pound on their chest and talk about how they're the best. Um, you know, a lot of people celebrate sales successes with alcohol. And uh, I, I appreciate you being willing to, to talk about this. You've had obviously some, some issues with alcohol and it's, it's affected a lot of stuff in your life. Tell me more about what you've experienced. When I first started drinking back in, you know, high school, it was all fun. You know, there were no problems, no issues. Uh, it was a great way to enjoy myself on the weekends, um, get away from the parents. Throughout college, it was fun. Then after college, um, I found a lot of my friends, colleagues, both personally and professionally, they were starting to settle down. They weren't necessarily looking for apartments only by the bars, and I was. So throughout my past, you know, alcohol is one of those things. It was all fun, no problems, and transitioned pretty slowly, but in a, in a marching fashion to become more problems than fun. So quite a few years ago, I had to make a decision because it was impacting my professional sales career. It was impacting my personal life on what, what am I going to do about this? So I tried to approach it like I approach, you know, prospects, my day-to-day in the sales world, you know, one day at a time, inputs, what am I doing? How many calls do I need to make? How many proposals do I need to do? How many demos do I need to do to get a sale? I took that whole philosophy and with the help of some other programs, turned that towards alcohol and realized, you know what, if I want to continue to have choices, if I want to continue to have success, I'm going to have to put down alcohol for me personally, because it's just not part of something that I can uh, partake in and be successful in what I want to do. And it has it has been, especially at the beginning, somewhat of a struggle because networking events, 
It's all about, you know, that's exactly what I was thinking about. Here's your two drink tickets, Alan. And I'm like, okay, great. Especially early on when I decided to stop drinking, those situations weren't easy. I'm like, man, everyone else has a bottle of beer. Everyone has a drink. But you know what, Jim, as I looked around the rooms in those situations, as I went to more sporting events, as I hung out at more parties and wasn't drinking, and I really looked around the room at people, not everyone drinks. For some people, it's it's for reasons like myself, it became more of a problem than not. But not everyone drinks like I thought they did when I was drinking. So realizing that, that it's not a big deal, that no one else cares that I've ever run into, as long as you're not trying to inter- interfere with what they're doing, it became a non-factor very quickly. And my life is, is completely different because of those choices I made a while ago to put alcohol on the side, make it not a big deal. And it's it's never been a situation that I thought it'd be where I would constantly have to go into every sales call by saying, hey, I'm Alan, I'm representing ABC company, I don't drink. And why are we talking today? <laughs> you know, you and I have hung out many a times. And I, I've told you before, like I've been cognizant of that notion, but I... I, I, I I definitely wouldn't think about taking it to the point of where you say it's like, hey, I'm Alan from ABC Company. And by the way, I don't drink. But but how do you turn down like, hey, Alan, let's go get drinks? Or when someone is really starting to like pressure you like, hey, just let's just have one. Come on, let's do a shot. Let's celebrate. Let's, how, how do you handle that situation? So professionally, when people want to go grab drinks after work, whatever the case may be, those situations, I still go. I don't talk about it at all. When we get there, they'll grab you know, a beer, a mixed drink. I'll grab a Diet Coke. And you know what? Nine times out of 10, there's never a conversation about it. We're sitting at the bar talking, you know, shooting, shooting the breeze about whatever, or talking professionally, building a partnership, whatever the case may be. The fact that we went to go get drinks after work, um, either one-on-one or in a group, and I ordered a Diet Coke instead of a beer, it's never a conversation. And I've never been pressured by anyone I cared about to do a shot, have a drink. You know, sometimes early on, especially when they when my friends didn't know that I had stopped drinking, like, oh hey, have a shot. Uh, no thanks. Uh, you know, I don't drink anymore. That stops the conversation pretty quickly. It's typically not a big deal. Um, and it's always a bigger deal in your mind than you think it's gonna be. It's it's so interesting. I, I appreciate you being willing to share that uh, with everybody because I think we can apply that to so much, right? Like we build up these mental barriers about everything in our life that it's always going to be so much harder than we think it is. But if you just actually go do it, you realize no one really cares. Like no one's actually thinking about you the way you're thinking about you. And it, just if say it, move on and go. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that holds back salespeople these days is knowing what won't work without ever giving it a try. And I used to be that person and quickly found out, you know what, it's better to give it a try. Um, It's better to play the game. And a lot of times you'll be surprised. Alan, I really do appreciate you sharing that uh, and and being a little bit vulnerable uh, on the show. I'm going to take a quick break to say thank you to my sponsors. And we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away and sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Costello is pioneering the way companies build and execute sales playbooks. The platform helps sales reps prepare for calls, ask timely questions, 
tell relevant stories, and sync insights back to their CRM, all while showing managers and reps the gaps in every single deal so they can work them together to move them forward. With Costello, sales leaders can identify what's working on the front line and replicate success across their entire team. Learn more and see a demo at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. We're back, and it's time for the money round. Alan, are you ready for the money round? Jim, I feel like I was born for this. <laughs> What's the one thing that has contributed the most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Understanding that while my role involves closing as much business as possible, it's okay to walk away from a prospect that isn't a good fit and say no quickly so you can spend your time on things that matter. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? Shadow. As much as possible, the top one or two sales performers in your company. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. You know what, Jim? I hate to lose. And it's no other reason than that feeling I get in the pit of my stomach is way bad, way awful. So I just don't like to have that. Fair enough. What's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? So I'm almost through The Transparency Sale by Todd Capone, and it's one of the best sales books I've ever read. But since I haven't completely finished it, I'm going to go to The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck. Best book ever. Sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Alan's suggestion of the Transparency Sale or Grapes of Wrath for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's salestuners.com slash book. And I will say we've had Todd Capone on the show and the Transparency Sale is not yet on Audible, but he is going to be recording that audio version very, very soon. So a great recommendation there, Alan. What is currently at the top of your bucket list? You know what? I've, I've been asked this question a lot. There, I don't have a bucket list, Jim. I mean, I can make it up and I wrote something down like run the Chicago Marathon. But really, I've found if I live my life one day at a time, the best that I can, then the rest takes care of itself. So I don't, I don't have a bucket list. What's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? By far, if you're not waking up every day excited about going to work and excited about doing what you're about to do for the day, you need to find a different career. If I woke up not wanting to do sales um, every day, it would be maddening. Money is an amazing and pleasant side effect from being successful at sales. But if you're not passionate about this career um, and it's not something that drives you, wakes you up early in the morning, makes you stay late at work at night, then I would definitely recommend checking something else out. There's a lot of stuff out there and time's too short. I've known Alan for nearly 10 years now. And even though I've always admired his steadfast work ethic, I learned several things today that I never knew. LinkedIn is the best way to reach him. And I recommend a personalized message telling him what your favorite board game is and why. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, disqualify early. If you want to save both yourself and your prospect more time, then it's your job to disqualify them as early as possible. Now, if you have a weak pipeline or don't like prospecting, I know you'll hang on to every opportunity like it's a bar of gold, but it's likely costing you. Instead of trying to figure out every possible way your product could work for them, 
focus in on the two or three things that you know would not make it a fit and be transparent about it. Doing this will allow you to spend more time working the deals that can actually retire your quota and earn you a commission instead of promising your VP that deal will come in month after month. Number two, pick your path. If you are a star in sales and find yourself regularly hitting or even exceeding quota, don't think that the only next step for you is to become a manager or even a VP of sales. The skills you need to train, manage, and get the best out of other reps is completely different than the skills you've worked so hard on developing. Additionally, more often than not, you'll also take a pay cut in order to get those newfound responsibilities. Number three, you don't have to be the best. In the 1980s, the car rental company Avis rolled out a brilliant ad campaign claiming to be number two behind Hertz and claimed, we try harder. How many times have you claimed your product or service has the best this or the greatest that? Here's the deal. It's annoying as hell and is often met with an eye roll you don't get to see. Plus, how do you know? Because your marketing department told you so? Instead of leading with arrogance, acknowledge that there are other solutions out there and that it's your goal in the conversation to determine the real needs of your prospect and promise them that you'll try harder. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thank you for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. And they stay there.